Hi, everyone. This is Podcasts for Patients with the Aplastic Anemia and MDS International Foundation. I'm Lee Clark, Director of Patient Services, and I'll be conducting the interview today. Our podcast series is brought to you uh, thanks to the generous support of our patients, families, and caregivers like you and our corporate sponsors. Thank you, everyone, for supporting the podcast series. Today, we'll be talking about advances in treating AML with older adults with Dr. Timothy Party, who is a professor of medicine and the director of the leukemia program at Atrium Health Wake Forest Baptist. Thank you so much, Dr. Party, for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Uh, what is AML? So AML or acute myeloid leukemia is a, an aggressive acute leukemia. It is a kind of cancer of the bone marrow. And what happens is there are white blood cells that are usually uh, supposed to help us to fight off infection. And uh, a precursor to those white blood cells uh, becomes cancerous and continues to grow and uh, divide, even though there is no signal from your body that more of those cells are needed. And ultimately what happens is the cancer cells, the leukemia cells end up crowding out the bone marrow where your normal blood cells are made. And uh, it, it leads to bone marrow failure, which leads to things like really low red blood cell counts or severe anemia, as we call them, really low platelet counts or severe thrombocytopenia, as we call it. And then these patients are unfortunately quite immunocompromised, which leads to uh, recurrent infections. And what are the current treatments available for treating AML? So a few years ago, this would have been a really short podcast um, because for many decades, we only had sort of an intense chemotherapy regimen that we used to treat uh, our AML patients. But thankfully, uh, in the more recent times, we've had a number of new approvals for drugs to treat um, acute myeloid leukemia. Now, this has been particularly helpful for uh, older patients because one of the big limitations we had in AML treatments earlier with this intense chemotherapy regimen was many patients with AML are older. In fact, the average age at which someone is diagnosed with AML ranges between 68 and 72. And so many of those patients may have other medical problems that don't make them a great candidate for intensive chemotherapy. And we used to have very limited options for those patients. Fortunately, now we have uh, more options, including some that are appropriate for patients who may have other medical problems and are not um, fit or choose not to be interested in a more traditional chemotherapeutic approach. So I think what I'd like to do is kind of divide my answer into what we do for fitter patients and what we do for less fit patients. So for fit AML patients, and I'm not using the term older on purpose because there are fit older folks and there are less fit younger folks. So for fit patients, meaning those who have very few other medical problems, are taking few or no medications for other medical conditions, and are in good shape, able to carry out all their activities of daily living independently, able to maintain their own households and go to work if they're still working, those folks, uh, we do still consider an intensive chemotherapy approach, uh, and that includes the very traditional induction chemotherapy which is a combination of two drugs. One drug is called cytarabine and the other is called donorubicin. And those two drugs uh, are given in a regimen called seven plus three. 
and that's the initial or induction chemotherapy that we give uh, to these patients. And that requires a four to six week hospital stay. And the goal of that therapy is to put a patient into remission. More recently, there has been another intensive chemotherapy approach that's FDA approved. And that's for uh, fit patients who have what we call a secondary AML, which means that it's an AML that has come from either previous chemotherapy that they've gotten for other cancers that are now cured or from other blood cancers that have then turned into AML like myelodysplastic syndromes. That chemotherapy is called Vixios and it's a special preparation of the same two chemotherapies that are in seven plus three. Uh, and it's given a little bit differently, but the hospital stays is about the same. It's a long hospital stay, four to six weeks. And the purpose of that initial hospital stay is to put patients into remission. And so for our fit patients, we uh, think about whether they're a de novo AML, meaning it's come from no previous condition and there's no history of chemotherapy or radiation exposure. And those patients, we would um, think about seven plus three. Uh, and then for patients who have a secondary AML, meaning they've had a previous hematologic malignancy or exposure to chemotherapy or radiation, we would consider a drug called Vixios. Um, and the goal of those therapies is to induce a remission. So a, a quick word on what I mean by remission. Patients understandably can sometimes get this confused. A remission is not a cure. A remission means that when I look in the bone marrow by doing a bone marrow biopsy, I don't see leukemia cells and I do see healthy bone marrow cells. And a remission also requires recovery of their platelet count and their neutrophil count. And neutrophils are a kind of white blood cell. So we need to see some normal white blood cells. We need to see some platelet recovery and freedom from needing red blood cell transfusions. And then we need to not see any evidence of the leukemia in the bone marrow, and that's a remission. Unfortunately, a remission is not the same thing as a cure, and many patients in remission will ultimately relapse. And so that's why fit patients after they're in remission will go on to get consolidation therapy. And that means just additional therapy to try to deepen and lengthen that remission. And that comes in the form of either Hydocytarabine, if patients have good risk AML, and that's given um, with shorter hospital stays, anywhere from three to four cycles, or additional doses of Vixios if the patient was initially treated with Vixios, or for patients who have intermediate or higher risk AML, we will often refer those patients for consideration of a bone marrow transplant in consolidation once they're in remission. So that's our pathway for fit patients. For unfit patients, we have a combination of medicines now that we use, and these are two drugs. The first is a drug called azacitidine, and the second is a drug called venetoclax. And this was a combination regimen that was approved in 2018 for older patients or those who have other medical problems that make them um, to not be great candidates for the combination chemotherapies I've talked about before. So azacitidine is an intravenous medication and it's given once a day for seven days. Benetoclax is a pill and it's taken every day. And this regimen is repeated every four weeks. So patients who um, start this regimen 
We'll have a bone marrow biopsy done usually in the fourth week of the first cycle to see how much leukemia is left. And if there is no visible leukemia left, then patients will sometimes have their next cycle or cycle number two delayed by several weeks to allow for count recovery, meaning to allow their anemia to get better, their low platelet counts to improve, and their low white blood cell counts to improve before starting cycle number two. A couple of important distinctions between the chemotherapy approach for fit patients and this approach. The first is that this approach is essentially indefinite. So the the plan would be to continue to treat less fit patients with this combination in recurrent cycles. And we do that uh, until they have resistant disease, meaning the disease comes back and is no longer responding to the combination or if they have intolerable side effects and say, you know what, Dr. Party, thanks, but I'm no longer interested in receiving this combination. Now, I will say that there is some emerging studies that have looked at the safety of discontinuing this regimen in patients who've had exceptionally profound responses, and that does appear to be safe in some circumstances, but I think for most patients, it should be at least at this point considered to be an indefinite regimen that you would do Uh, on a repeated basis. Additionally, we now have some FDA-approved agents which are specific to specific mutations or genetic changes in the leukemia of uh, of a patient. So there are two genes that are recurrently mutated in about 10% of AML patients, and these are genes called IDH1 or IDH2 mutations. And these mutations make that AML susceptible to an oral agent. Actually, there are two, one for each of those mutations. So there's ibuvucidinib, which is a pill, an oral agent that is um, targets the IDH1 mutated AML. And there's another pill called enosidinib, which targets the IDH2 mutated AMLs. And if you have a very unfit patient who wouldn't tolerate the azacitidine plus venetoclax approach, you can give either of those pills as a single agent. And there is documented response rates, uh, remission rates uh, for patients receiving those, those medications as long as they have those mutations. Unfortunately, if you don't have those mutations, those medicines will not be helpful to you. Additionally, there was a recent study about a year ago that was published that combined the one drug I've already mentioned, azacitidine, with ivovucidinib. And this study had really encouraging response rates and survival. So that combination is also a consideration for uh, less fit patients who have an IDH1 mutation. Finally, there is another mutation called FLT3, and that's FLT3. This is a gene that's mutated in about 30% of AML patients or so. If you have this mutation, um, there are drugs that specifically target the mutated protein. So one of those drugs is called mitostorin. That's a pill. And we give that in combination with intense chemotherapy, 7 plus 3, for fit patients. There is a second agent called gilteritinib, which is also a pill. And we give that as a single agent for patients who have FLT3 mutated AML after it has progressed on a frontline treatment like either 7 plus 3 or azacitidine and venetoclax. Uh, And that pill is also FDA approved. 
So that's a general rundown of the treatments that are currently available for patients with AML. Thank you. Uh, what are the challenges in treating AML in older adults? So one of the biggest challenges, no matter which treatment we use, either the intensive chemotherapy treatment or the azacitidine and venetoclax approach, is that patients have very poor bone marrow function, which means that they're very dependent on transfusion support. And it also means that they are very susceptible to infections. So I think one of the most challenging aspects about treating leukemia in older patients is making sure that they're not getting infected. Um, and infections are a very serious complication for our leukemia patients. And so that can be a real challenge in treating um, older AML patients. I think the second biggest challenge um, after this sort of bone marrow failure issues are related to the other medical problems that an uh, older patient um, typically has. And so sometimes patients who would otherwise, um, you would recommend say a bone marrow transplant for, but unfortunately have had say a heart attack and their heart doesn't um, pump normally and they aren't candidates for bone marrow transplant, um, that can be challenging as well. And you have to really adapt your management strategy to the patient in front of you and that, that is also a big challenge. And then finally, making sure that your patient has um, the support that they need. So thankfully, many of our patients have a great family or community support, but occasionally you all have an older patient who is a bit isolated and doesn't have those support systems in place. And so having programs that reach out to those patients like we do here at Atrium Health Wake Forest Baptist, we have a cancer patient support program that can be really helpful in helping our patients deal with the diagnosis and our great case managers who can help to identify community resources to bring in and, and help to support uh, those patients. That can also be a challenge. Thank you. What is on the horizon for treating AML? So we've definitely made some improvements, uh, but there's still a long way to go. So unfortunately, the five-year survival for a newly diagnosed AML patient, uh, so if you have 100 newly diagnosed AML patients and you ask the question in five years, how many of those 100 people will still be alive? The answer is about 30. So there's definitely a, a lot of room for improvement. And thankfully, there are some really exciting developments that are making their way, hopefully, to clinical practice. So um, I'm sure many of your listeners have heard all about how immuno-oncology has revolutionized the treatment of a lot of solid tumors. So there are drugs that are now being used routinely in non-small cell lung cancers and other tumor types that have um, really improved the outcomes and they do that by harnessing the immune system to attack the tumor. So we've looked at that a bit in AML. And unfortunately, the traditional um, immuno-oncology drugs like Keytruda or Pembrolizumab uh, don't seem to be really active in AML. And so that's been a bit of a disappointment. However, there are other approaches to activate the immune system that are um, producing some really interesting, really early data. So one of those drugs is a drug called megrolimab. Um, megrolimab basically takes away the leukemia's invisibility cloak. So your leukemia cells hide from your immune system. They do that by expressing a, a protein called CD47. 
which basically tells other cells of the immune system, don't, don't eat me. I'm, I'm a member of the team. I'm with you guys. Uh, and what megrolimab does is it really cloaks those, those leukemia cells and, and makes them more visible to certain parts of your immune system, particularly a kind of cell called the macrophage, which would then encourage the macrophage to eat and destroy your leukemia cell in a way that our current therapies really can't. It's very early days for the studies with this agent, but so far they've been very encouraging, and I look forward to seeing more data uh, as it comes out. The second area that I think has been really encouraging is we're looking at other immuno-oncology targets, uh, so new targets that will help to make our adaptive immunity, our T-cells, recognize and attack the leukemia more efficiently are, are being investigated. So these are, these are novel checkpoints, um, proteins like TIM3 that are being um, looked at for their ability to make AML cells more susceptible to our immune system. And again, it's very early days, but some studies are starting to come out that are showing some encouragement. And then we're continuing to move towards uh, our targeted therapies in AML. So as I mentioned, There's a drug for mutations in in IDH1. There's a drug for mutations in IDH2. There's a drug for mutations in FLT3. And there's another drug that's making its way, actually several drugs. I think there are three companies that each have their own version um, of something called a menin inhibitor. And this is a protein that's really important for certain subtypes of AML. So if you have an AML that has a mutation in a gene called NPM1, which is about 30% of AML patients, or if your AML has a genetic rearrangement involving a gene called KMT2A, uh, or MLL is the other name for that gene, a menin inhibitor has shown really remarkable efficacy in the laboratory. So in preclinical systems, AML um, models that have those uh, genetic changes are incredibly susceptible to the use of these um, menin inhibitors. And there are now phase one and phase two studies that are uh, being conducted with uh, lead compounds that target menin that are showing some really promising results. So another area that I'm very excited about seeing how those studies ultimately turn out and and hopefully eventually will lead to another approved medication. Thank you. If a patient was interested in finding a clinical trial for AML, how would they go about doing that? Yeah, so I, I think... The first thing I would say is to to please be sure to discuss your interest in a clinical trial with your oncologist. I think that your oncologist should be a really good resource for finding clinical trials for you. And as someone who believes very strongly in clinical trials, I, I think that that's always my preferred way to have a patient treated whenever possible is on a clinical trial. Um, and I say that because obviously I'm interested in making treatments better for AML patients, but there's also emerging data in a number of different kinds of cancers that patients who are treated on clinical trials actually do better than patients who are treated with standard uh, treatments off of a clinical trial. So I think there are a lot of reasons to seriously consider participating in a clinical trial. So your oncologist should be someone you're involving early in that conversation. I think the other place to look is a website called clinicaltrials.gov. Um, clinicaltrials.gov is maintained by the government. It is not a commercial site, and it has a very user-friendly search engine that you could put in uh, AML. 
And uh, one of the things that I really enjoy is when a patient comes in to see me who's done their homework and has some clinical trials they found on clinicaltrials.gov, and we can discuss uh, you know, whether or not they'd be an appropriate candidate for those trials. So I would definitely uh, advocate for the early involvement of their oncologist, but also clinicaltrials.gov is a good resource. Thank you so much, Dr. Pardee, for sharing your time and your expertise with all of us today. You can find out more about bone marrow failure diseases on our website at aamds.org. You can also find information by following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or give us a call at our helpline at 800-747-2820. This concludes our podcast. Thank you, Dr. Party. Thank you for having me.